Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for listening to the Toronto Today podcast for Friday, April 29th. That's our last show of April. That doesn't feel right. When's the good weather getting here? But it's here now, as a matter of fact. Anthony Farnell will uh, check in from the state of Kansas. Um, yeah, he's got some eligibility left for the Jayhawks. That's got to be it. That's that's a that's a number four. That's a power forward if I ever saw one. Anthony Farnell is. Uh, we'll talk to Dr. Isaac Bogosh about the potential for the under five vaccine. A lot of people talking about it. Are we talking about it the same way we were talking about it eight months ago? And much, much more, including a reaction to the provincial budget on the show as well. It's all coming up on Toronto Today, which starts now. Yesterday on the show, we told you that Moderna had asked the U.S. to approve a COVID-19 vaccine for kids under six. Um, they have been six to 11, not five to 11 up here. Um, and uh, that's going to be really interesting. Is that going to happen for parents before summer? I see it all the time and they're a vocal group and I'm all for uh, parents feeling how they feel and taking choice into their hands. We've talked about the mandates before. If there was a purpose for the mandates at one point in time, that seems to have Obviously, um, those parameters have shifted since Omicron. I mean, that's obvious. We've got a less severe variant. People were all up in arms in November, December. Stop calling it mild. It's not mild. okay. Less severe is that? Does that make you happier? The one doesn't. You're incensed at something that is called quote unquote mild, but we're okay if we call it less. Oh yes, that's okay with you. Now you can you can eat your lunch in peace. Fantastic. We'll do that. Whatever works. But but we're fortunate. It's less severe. And as you uh, have heard doctors document before, almost always when there is another variant, as things move through, you've got more, and it's more transmissible. It's more transmissible, spreads faster, spreads further, more likely, more breakthrough infections. The vaccine efficacy in terms of preventing severe illness is one thing. The vaccine uh, efficacy in terms of preventing spread and infection is another. I mean, every parent that was vaccinating 12 plus last summer was hopeful that um that, that that their kids wouldn't spread it and wouldn't get it at all but that isn't what's happened in the omicron era it might have happened but think about parents that, that you can put your hand up listening try to keep one hand on the wheel of your driving think about if your kid got uh the original covid or if your kid got delta last summer um probably what one in ten one in twelve compared to getting omicron getting ba2 in these last few months and I know, I know there's a lot of yelling and screaming about uh, the mask mandate being lifted, but ICUs have essentially held. Hospitalizations were going where they're going. We document Quebec all the time on this show, which has a mask mandate. We've documented U.S. states, which drop mask mandates, and the virus does what it does anyway. Unless you're wearing an N95 seven, eight hours a day, if you're sending your kid to school in a Batman mask or a Paw Patrol mask in JK, and it's cloth, okay? Uh, you're, you're as susceptible practically as if you're wearing nothing at all. Might give you an, an element of protection. We're, we're now talking more, uh, thank God, about the risk-benefit analysis of what we do, okay? We are doing those things. So it's going to be an interesting call here. Vinay Prasad is an uh, infectious disease specialist in the United States. He has a podcast. He has a big social media presence, very pro-vaccine, and he laid this out as to whether or not there's going to be an uptake, and it's remarkably similar, okay, remarkably similar to what we said on this show and, and what we said only because we polled a bunch of uh, epidemiologists and said, what do you think the uptake's going to be for parents taking this 
pediatric, in essence, zero to five vaccine. There's a fraction of parents who are really, really keen and eager for this. And if I were to guess how big that fraction is, I would guess it's probably one in five. It's about 20%. And the reason I guess that number is that's very similar to the number that had the rapid uptake for kids five to 11. It's probably around the same kind of parents, but that means 80% of parents are the kind of let's see how this goes kind of space. And so that 20% is quite vocal on social media, but the 80%, let's not forget about those people. And the 20% really wants this vaccine available and Moderna is filing that EUA. And this is different than what the regulators had said. The regulators said, we're not going to wait. We're going to wait until the summer and look at Moderna and Pfizer side by side. And they may still pull it off. They may still do so. We shall see. Don't know if it's going to happen or not. Um, a, a lot has changed in the last eight months. Maybe you're a parent and Omicron hit your family. And uh, not fun, is it, for an adult to get it for a couple days? But what are, what are the odds and what are the options to uh, avoid it? I know there's, <laughs> there's doctors out there still saying, try and avoid COVID at all costs. Most parents to me that I talk to are saying, no, not at all costs. No, not at not going anywhere. No, not at hiding in the basement. No, not at, at staying home from school or not traveling or not letting your children socialize or be part of their life. It's been documented a lot the last few weeks, something we were saying last fall, and I'm sure we were saying it in the summer as well when Toronto Today started, is that it's such a finite time to be a child. The move from age five to six, that feels like that takes five years when you're that age. If I move from 38 to 39, what am I noticing in, in those 12 months? Well, I'm not noticing. What, here's what I'm not noticing. The difference between being 16 and 17. The difference for being 19 and 20. The difference to being 15 to 16 where you can start to drive and you can get out on your own and you start to date and whatnot. So this is going to be really, really interesting where it goes. If it is indeed one in five, it's got a lot of complexities to it. Okay, they've only done a study. Moderna's study, by the way, was in 1,120 kids between zero and five. Is that a safe enough, you know, uh, sample size, if you will, to uh, to take a drug to market and help an incredibly low risk demographic, incredibly low risk. Many of the things that parents are taking zero to ones to the hospital for anyway, COVID, a COVID vaccine isn't going to stop. It's not going to slow it down. So it's the irony is in the word, isn't it? Emergency use authorization. Is there an emergency for you for a zero to five? It's a very reasonable question at this point in time. All this sucks. COVID sucks. Prime Minister Trudeau said it near the end of 21 when he was hoping that we'd all be able to, you know, we were shelving Thanksgiving, remember, in 2020 to actually have Christmas in 2020. It all stinks. Nobody says it doesn't. In fact, um, I saw a theory the other day. There's people who throwing out conspiracy theories about uh, COVID for the uh, under underclass, the zero to fives, thinking, well, you know, the FDA, they're just waiting their time here. And that's a wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's a conspiracy theorist here? I've got all three vaccines. They would want this out as quickly as possible. The drug companies would want this out as quickly as possible. And the FDA, if you were going to compare the FDA and the CDC, the FDA is phenomenally well run. They deny hundreds of drugs getting approved every year. Why? Cost benefit. The same thing we're saying. The same thing we're saying. So they're looking at this, wondering about efficacy data. When were the vaccines awesome for efficacy data? For us. Think about when it was great for us. 
2021 when we got it in the spring. We thought, I can't infect anybody anymore. Uh, my danger is over. You remember how emboldened you were when you got your first. You remember how incredibly emboldened you were when you got your second, probably in the spring or summer of 2021. But we're past that particular crisis. So if we're going to use something we all should do in our daily lives, and we know that government bodies and public health bodies should, standard cost-benefit analysis to under fives, well, parents are going to ask, are we weighing on one side? Let's put let's take the scales of justice. You've got prevention of death on one side, we, prevention of death and severe outcome for zero to five years old. And does that exceed the negative outcomes and the side effects? Does it? OK, and that's not because the vaccines are problematic. That's not because they're bad. That's not an anti-vax sentiment, but it's because kids are so immune to this. And they are the vast, vast majority are. So you certainly won't be able to mandate. We know that. But you can't just push a trial of toddlers together. What I say it was 1180. Um, there probably are some bad outcomes among those 1180. That's not the fault of the vaccines. It's not the fault of the people, the brilliant people that made them. But if the bad outcomes exceed hospitalizations for under five, People are going to wonder about it. And I think Vinny Prasad is right on the money here. You're looking at maybe at most for six months, for six months, 20 percent uh, uptake. Maybe that we're at 35 right now for five to 11 in Ontario. And we've offered five to 11 for eight months. Like if we're not going to talk straight about this and have honest, real conversations about it. What's the point? I'm not going to tell you to go out and get an 18 month old vaccinated. That's up to you. I'd never tell you to do that. I'd never say not to. I'd never say to do it. You'll have to decide for yourself. And seeing family doctors and talking to people that would know and talking to people, by the way, that have no conflict of interest whatsoever in seeing COVID continue, those are also people to avoid in the conversation. And those people have shown themselves quite obviously in the last several months. 618, you can text the show if you have a comment on what I just said. 289-975-1640. Do I have this right? Does Dr. Prasad have this right? 20% in terms of getting vaccinated for under five? I know what I would or wouldn't do. You may as well. Um, but but you can't make the case that, again, emergency use authorization, that's kind of an ironic word. I don't think people think there's a worldwide emergency for kids that are under five. There are certainly specific cases where it might benefit your child. Absolutely it would. But mandates? No. Mass vaccination? No. Encouraging it from public health officials and politicians? No, no, and no. It's not going to happen. I'm happy to welcome on our next guest. Uh, we always enjoy our conversations, infectious diseases physician and scientist. He is uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh. I feel like we might be coming to the end of our chats. You don't want us to ghost you at any point. In t we won't ghost you. But I, you're looking forward to a point in time when the phone stops ringing. You got to say oh, that yeah. right now, right? Come on. Oh yeah, uh, that's, I'm <laughs> trying to disengage as much as possible. Let me reframe it. It would be wonderful to talk about something other than COVID. There are some <laughs> incredible, sad, infectious diseases that plague the world. We've got measles, malaria, HIV, tuberculosis, other what we call neglected tropical diseases that impact low-income countries far from Canada. These are fascinating. These are sad. These are important stories to tell. 
and maybe we could just shift the conversation to other things other than COVID as COVID starts to hopefully wind down a bit. Well, I think I think I-, I love talking to you because I feel like there's not you're not you're data driven, you're practical, you realize there are uh, there's a human condition to all this after 26, 27 months. I don't think you advocate for sort of one size fits all recommendation no. or medicine or, or things like that. So I, I, I'm all there. I'm all there with you. I want to ask you about the measles thing. I saw that study and I saw that number and uh, like like we're aghast. And I mentioned to you um, earlier this week that, you know, I got an email from the Durham District School Board. And, and yeah, like they're telling parents, most school boards are telling parents your grade seven or your grade eight. You might be behind be behind on some vaccines. And I got to call myself out. I got to dig out that email make an appointment and get everything updated like this. These are crit. These are diseases as well that are, uh, you know, are, are going to run. Rant. They're everything we don't want in our schools or in our communities. Measles and uh, mumps and, and MM, all, all that stuff. HPV. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think I see this sort of I mean, they're interrelated, but I look at this locally and I look at this globally. Uh, obviously, from a global standpoint, many of the big public health programs were disrupted during COVID, you know, global Mm -hmm. programs to provide measles vaccination, HIV therapy, tuberculosis screening and treatment, worming, deworming uh, programs were disrupted. And and we're going to see a global rise in that. In fact, we already are. And measles is first because measles is by far the most visible and the most contagious. But that's just uh, that's that's the canary in the coal mine. That tells you that all these other programs uh, are brewing uh, that, that have been neglected for a couple of years are are on the rise. We're going to see those other conditions now. Of course, Canada is not immune, right? No, of we're not. And and it just it's just thankfully we live in a country where you can you know have greater access to healthcare and you can call your pediatrician, your family doctor, whoever's looking after you, and say, hey, are we up to date? And you can you know it's not perfect, but you can book an appointment. And, and get up to date. It's a lot harder for other parts of the world to do that, but you know, it's going to it's going to be a tough couple of years ahead. We are going to see the resurgence of many vaccine preventable illnesses over the next couple of years. Unfortunately, it, it, it's weird, and I'm glad you're saying this because I, here's what I worry about: if I put a uh, uh, very unscientific Twitter poll up today and I said, "What's you know, what's more con- what's more contagious and more dangerous for young kids, COVID nineteen or measles?" I'm worried I'd get a lot of wrong answers. But it's not like it's not like we can wander into the town square and shout it out with a megaphone. People need to understand that this is a tremendous Cases jumped 79% in the first two months of this year compared to 21. And as you document, with all the disruptions we've had to vaccine campaigns, this is only going to go up in the months to come. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and some of these are pretty nasty infections, and most of them are largely preventable. And, you know, they are kept in check. They are kept in check with good public health programs and good primary care, which just functions behind the scenes. And, you know, when everything's going well, you don't know there's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just quietly happening behind the scenes. And, 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 you know, we often talk about the best public health is not always, but mostly invisible. You don't know what's happening. It's just happening. <laughs> and and uh, and you don't have massive measles outbreaks. Uh, but but of course, when there are disruptions, everyone's going to know. And, uh, you know, we, we we have a huge resurgence in global travel as well. And, and I hope COVID taught us that what happens on one side of the world doesn't stay on that side of the world. It can quickly land on our doorstep overnight. Of course, we saw that with COVID-19 time and time again with the original virus and each variant. But of course, that happens with other things as well like that are transmissible, like measles. So if there's a measles problem on the other side of the world, it means there could be a measles problem 
in Canada very soon, especially if we're not up to date on our vaccines. Now, Dr. Isaac Bogus, our guest on Toronto today, there's some unknown origin cases of hepatitis. I know you were talking about it uh, yesterday, and obviously it's got parents concerned. Now, five years ago, if if there is this, maybe it doesn't make a headline. Maybe it's not even in a newscast, but obviously we're all hyper aware of of anything. It's something There's theories about 26 months of not going anywhere means a lot of kids and a lot of younger kids have like no immunity compared to what we used to have, but we're still sort of trying to figure all this out with why there are some cases here and in uh, in first world countries. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple points on this. Number one, I think the most important thing to recognize is we don't have an answer yet. Mm-hmm. Despite people overconfidently asserting that it's X or Y or Z, we don't know. The second thing is there's probably about 200 cases globally that are identified to date. Uh, and, you know, multiple things can be true. It doesn't appear to be all that common, but this is probably a gross undercount and we'll probably see more cases as well. You know, multiple things can be true. The third thing is that now there are, watch, watch how this is being worked up. This is really smart. When people that know what they're doing actually get an opportunity to do what they, they do, right? <laughs> there is a standardized case definition. There is a very broad, open-minded approach to this that it could be anything. You don't want to jump to it and say it's COVID and be closed-minded to any other thing. You don't want to prematurely rule anything in or anything out. Yeah, it might be COVID. It might be a post-COVID syndrome. It might be this adenovirus that they've detected a lot of. Don't fall into the trap of having an anchoring bias. Don't prematurely rule something in or out. They have a very broad uh, set of investigations that should be done on every potential case. And if you go through a methodical, empiric approach, you will get an answer. And I think we'll hear more about this, hopefully, in the, in the, in the weeks or months ahead. Obviously, it's a tragic condition. There's some kids that get very, very sick from this. Fortunately, we don't have too many cases to date, but we'll likely hear about more cases in the weeks ahead. So the under five vaccine in the States, you know, you speak about, um, you know, using data and being methodical about it. I know I know parents of under fives are desperate and they're getting frustrated and they're they're using words and they're almost getting suspicious. And I, I all I can say is like the FDA is a remarkably run government agency. They they deny approval for plenty of drugs every year because they are they are firm on cost benefit. And I just they're obviously finding trouble, Dr. Bogush, with with efficacy data with this. Uh, The data for adult vaccines was phenomenal last year at this time. Like we're talking about percentages in the in the mid 90s and the high 80s. So we're like, yes, let's get these things out there. But when we see 51 at most for an under five vaccine and and people look and say, ah, you know, like, what's my risk benefit here as a parent? Maybe my three year olds already had covid. I, I know parents want it to come. I want them to have the choice as well. But you and I have talked about this as well. I don't know what uptake's going to be. I, I want it out there for people to have the choice, but I also want it to be safe and, and for us to have a good understanding of what it does and more importantly, what it doesn't do. I, nothing to add. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly it, right? I'm no doctor like, either. People know that. <laughs> it's like two years of this pandemic and you're already, you know, Dr. Greg Brady, <laughs> epidemiologist, infectious disease specialist. No, right. Like, let's have an honest discussion. What does it do? What is it? What is it not going to do? Let's acknowledge that most kids don't tend to get that sick, but some do. Some end up in hospital. We absolutely know that happens. It's just much less likely compared to older age cohorts. Here's what's pr- like: if we have a crystal ball and we look ahead, I don't know, a year from now, this is pure speculation. But what's probably going to happen is the low risk of hospitalization and severe outcomes will be markedly reduced 
in those kids who are mm-hmm. vaccinated with this. That's probably going to happen. Most kids, of course, don't end up in hospital, by, you know, by, but the small percentage of kids that do will be markedly reduced in those who are vaccinated. And you know what? Like, there's, we better, I don't know what's going to happen. I know some parents are going to jump in with two feet. Some are going to want to see some more data uh, before they make a decision. But I think there's going to be a lot of parents who have either family members in the home who are immunocompromised or at risk for severe infection, or the child, him or herself, might be at risk for severe infection. They might have an underlying condition that puts them at risk. And and I think when we talk about bang for the buck, it's going to be those kids that would get more bang for the buck with this. But let's let's see, let's look at the data and you know, make smart decisions moving forward. Let's see where it goes. Hey, thanks very much. Uh, always bringing it straight with uh, our show. We love having you on and uh, and have a great weekend. You well, you too, Greg. Awesome. Dr. Isaac Bogosh. We check in on the scene of uh, the morning's biggest story, Scotiabank Arena, where they're uh, they're still drying up the tears from the second half. Marianne <laughs> Demain, and some of some of them are her own, I think, uh, given how badly she wanted a game seven and uh, and history being made. Marianne Demain joins us now from Scotiabank Arena. And wow, things things were decent. They were taking some punches down one point at the half last night, and there was optimism in uh, in Raptors land, and that optimism faded pretty quickly into the evening. Oh, yeah, and then the beer cup started to catch the tears you were talking about. Anything else that, uh, <laughs> those are expensive tears. At $12 a cup, those are expensive <laughs> tears, yes, Marianne. Everyone was already crying because they bought some beer Correct. and then they started crying again. Uh, once we hit that third quarter, what the heck happened? Um, you know, everything, as you mentioned, looked promising. Raptors fans were so hopeful. The team was so hopeful. I was dreaming about a preemptive parade. <laughs> but, uh, no, in the end, it just wasn't in the cards. You know, there was hope that they would force a Game 7 if they won last night. They would make Raptors history, or rather NBA history, if they won that Game 7. So now we're just looking ahead to uh, next season. We're going to hear from the Raptors at a news conference later this morning. That's happening at 10. And um, really, I'm just watching the cleanup now at Jurassic Park outside of Scotiabank Arena as there's a sign that says a fresh start with a picture of the Maple Leafs. So I think that's what we're looking forward to now. Well, it's it's something as well I mentioned earlier, like the progress they made in a year. They had a terrible season down in Tampa. I think we all just weren't really engaged. And, and you and I talked about this on Monday even, how it all made us feel three years ago, how we were just so proud, all that attention. The parade day is so memorable for people. Um, the moment when, when, they, when they actually won in Golden State in that game six was memorable. And at least it felt like, like progress, right? We're all going to games again. Jurassic Park we reopened. The team was back. There was no. I know we went through that period in January, February, where there was empty arenas, but but uh, so much bad and so much that that is uh, difficult to remember feels behind us. Yeah, really, it really does, and that's why it's nice to see the Raptors fans still so optimistic, still so supportive. I'm like what we saw in Philadelphia earlier this week when yeah. they just started booing their own team and then uh, started heading for the exits. Last night, reaction after last night's game, you know, a lot of fans were saying, I'm still proud of the team. It was a great comeback. I can never be disappointed in the Raptors. Those are the things that they were saying. So that's always great support for the team, which is, uh, you know, always encouraging as um, it's, it's never great after a big loss, especially one where everyone was just hoping they would win 
hoping that this season will last a little bit longer, but again, not in the carts. Yeah, it does. I'll tell you, it does clear the uh, roads, if you will, not just for uh, Scotiabank Arena to leave the ice in, but there is optimism for the Leafs. They'll get to host a game either next Monday or Tuesday night against either Tampa or Boston. And sometimes, you know, we yo-yo and ping-pong back and forth between Raptors, Leafs, Raptors, Leafs. Um, they're they're going to get a pretty, I know the Jays are still playing, TFC's got a home game tomorrow, but the Leafs are going to get a pretty big spotlight. Again, first time in eight that they'll get. I can't even believe we're talking about this because last year when they played Montreal, the question was the first five games had no fans. I think they let yeah. fifteen hundred fans in for the Canadians game six, and then we we sent a bunch of our healthcare heroes to the game, a uh, thousand maybe. But it took some it took some banging on Doug Ford's door to let that happen. Like how far we've come in a year? Oh yeah, full capacity arena. Even for the team, I remember interviewing Masai Ujiri at the beginning of the season, and he was saying, you know, there are some people on the team this year with the Raptors who haven't experienced a home game with the crowd, the Toronto fans cheering them on. It's always been abroad or with empty seats. So, of course, there was the hope for a longer season, at least one more game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Jurassic Park now transforming to Maple Leaf Square. It's going to be space still put to good use. With lots of cheering. Just not for the Raptors. Just not for the Raptors. Marianne, thanks yeah. so much for uh, checking in with us and have a great weekend. Enjoy the, enjoy the sunshine. we got great days today and tomorrow. Thanks so much, you too. You bet. Uh, there's Marianne Demaine. There's a lot of eyes on the nation's capital right now. Let's bring on Dr. Lori Turnbull, Associate Professor of Political Science and Director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. This wasn't even on my radar, Lori, maybe nine days ago. We're all so busy and there's always news. But then Monday, it started to get in the news cycle. And today, bikers coming to Ottawa. And I know Ottawa residents are saying, not again. This can't happen again. It can't be too similar to what we saw in February, can it? I mean, it, it can't. I, I, <laughs> uh, please no. But I think, you know, that obviously people are going to be apprehensive and stressed out because they're still having flashbacks to February. But people showing up on bikes is going to be a completely different arrangement because mm-hmm. the thing with the truckers is that it became like an, an occupation, an encampment, because people set up their trucks and some of them took off their wheels. And the trucks themselves physically were blocking the arteries into the city. And that was a big part of it, right? Like, you, and, and as we know, right, like, as we can remember, there were, there were children involved. There were children in the truck. Mm. It created all of these issues around the, the just the, the practicalities and the logistics of it. Um, but now, you know, the cops are, it seemed to be a little more on top of it. Uh, you know, there was a press conference with Jim Watson yesterday. And so now it seems like the, the point is to say, look, we're not going to be stopping legal protests. And so there's going to have to be some nuance between how they handle people who are completely legally protesting, but yet preventing any sort of the same kind of occupation and the things that happened that became so problematic earlier this year. It, it felt like just is the perfect storm of everything, right? At, at least in Ontario, but probably nationwide. We were uh, we didn't get the kids back into school again in, in Ontario until uh, middle of January. Uh, I don't think the municipal government with Jim Watson, clearly the police weren't ready. The municipal government weren't ready. They under underestimated um, the volume of people. I think you and I talked about this little bit of a stoking of of some members, at least, if not the fire by Prime Minister Trudeau that week with the the talk of the, uh, you know, the small fringe minority. Um, and 
and they didn't delineate, as you and I have documented, between some of the you know awful uh, politics and and discriminatory and racist politics of some of the organizers and people that just said, "I'm tired of the mandates. I want to I want to do what I want to do with my family." Like it, it it just it was the and bad weather, cold weather, people frustrated. It's just the perfect storm of everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so you know, by definition, this is going to be different. I still don't get this a clear sense of what exactly the the point of this is like yeah. if there's the central message that like i know that there's some association with like some of the people who supported the the freedom convoy that there is some overlap here and i don't know how that's going to manifest itself but like as you said the the trucker convoy was about certain things then it became about a whole bunch of other things but i don't know what this exactly is going to be and so how the response will play out politically right is pure polyev going to show up on his bike for example <laughs> <laughs> is he back on an overpass with those giant mitts um that's possible i guess it's the weather's gotten better but uh yeah i, I don't know yeah politically I, I don't know what the response will be because i'm not sure at this point what the message is and whether there's going to be a, an, as much of a kind of freedom element to it because i think that's where and we can see now with Pierre Polyev and his, his messaging, it's, he's talking about freedom all the time. Not that he got that idea from the Freedom Convoy, but it overlapped mm. with where he wants to put himself politically. And I'm just not sure if he's going to see him and, and the other candidates, too. Are there going to be, you know, like benefits on, on their part? For, do they see any point in trying to align themselves with what's going to happen this weekend? Laura Turbles, our guest on Toronto Today. I know a lot of, the, I mean, a, a lot of the, the movement has shifted provincially to where, you know, people can make the case, look, what... What can't you do now? Many of many of the provincial mandates have been lifted, and that's true. And many of the border requirements have been lifted. But um, I see a story yesterday. The Canadian military still says more than three quarters of 1,300 service members were denied an exemption for the vaccine. There were 1,300 service members, uh, men and women, that didn't want the vaccine. They, they didn't get an exemption for that. The trucker mandate is still in place. So it's not there are still federal mandates uh, and people are saying, when do those get like, what are the thresholds? What are the off ramps for dropping those? So, I mean, those are still conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like it was two months ago or three months ago in terms of the mandates. But, yeah, you, there are still, you know, depending on where you are and what you're doing, there are still some <clears throat> mandates or restrictions or, you know, need to show proof of vaccine or need to wear a mask, whatever the case may be. And to the extent that people are frustrated by that, absolutely, there are still conversations left to be had. There's also this the kind of the overall sense that government has been too involved in your life for the past couple of years, right? Like the, this, there's the argument that in some cases government has, has kind of taken a little too much advantage of the fact that people had to put restrictions on their behavior during COVID-19. There's some people that are like, no, the government has gone too far. Government at all levels have gone too far. And so you see Pierre Polyev, again, like even the rhetoric of his campaign is not, he's not placing himself as a conservative. He's not talking about the party. He's talking about himself a Pierre Polyev government would do this. And so I think he's trying to harness that general frustration with government at this point in the sense mm. that institutions aren't working for you. Hey, I'm curious to get your feel for uh, the, the announcement. It finally comes yesterday that Canada is removing a ban on blood donations from gay men. And you and I, we were a lot younger then, but there was a bit of a, um, you know, scandal, a crisis when um, uh, thousands of people, a couple thousand were infected with HIV, uh, a lot for hepat with hepatitis C from some tainted blood donations. So they put this ban in place. 
1992 to stop HIV from entering the blood supply. But I think as obviously as time has moved on, it's hard to believe, A, that's 30 years ago, and B, it's hard to believe that that this took so long to move. I mean, is this being painted as a as a win for the liberal government or even Justin Trudeau said it yesterday in front of the microphone. He said, this just took too long and it's not even now until September. And now we're asking everybody, not about your sexual orientation, but just about your behaviors and anybody can check a box and not necessarily tell the truth. So I'm not sure. I'm not just, I'm just not sure where this goes, but it took forever to get this done. Absolutely. I think, I mean, Good Lord, this is, you know, why did, didn't this happen before? And so I don't know that any, like any government can take credit for it, to be honest, because mm-hmm. it's just so overdue. And it, it was just ridiculous, right? Like, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a sense that, okay, people are relieved to see it. And I like the tweet from Isaac Bogosh yesterday, who had, you know, I put it on Twitter. I mean, it's just long overdue. So I don't know that anybody's going to kind of like any government can say, okay, hey, we did it. This is great. Like, it's more like, all right, why didn't you do, you've been in government for seven years now. Why didn't you do this before? Yeah. It's sort of like, what's a, what's a crisis? What's we're here. We're here a little bit now with COVID. What's a crisis? What's an emergency? Uh, how, how would we define it? And people should know that, you know, experts have found a way that like the blood is screened anyway in advance for viruses such as a, they're not just going to take somebody's blood, not screen it, not test it for hep B or hep C or HIV, and then slide it into the general supply. That never was the case. So, so you're not being practical. You're just being discriminatory for these last couple decades. Well, exactly. I mean, good grief. It's not like this, the blood system doesn't go through, you know, the kinds of tests that you say, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're, not, we're not doing that. So, I mean, it's not like this is some actual screening mechanism. It's been a discriminatory mechanism. It's been a shaming mechanism, which is completely, you know, awful. So, yeah, I think this is something that should have been taken care of a long time ago. There's been, and there's been a lot of public attention to it as well, mm-hmm. right? Like, why previous, you know, ongoing campaigns to raise awareness about this and push the government on it haven't been responded to in this way. I don't know. Lori, have a great weekend. Thanks so much for the time today. You too. Take care. I had to put a poll up because uh, we just had an off-air conversation about it that will bring on the air uh, with Shiva Siddiqui and Gord Rennie. So here's my poll question. Shiva, to ask me this if I've phrased this, phrased this properly. Okay. Have you? Okay, go have ahead. I, I can't speak properly, but... This is very Toronto-centric. Former Much VJ Michael Williams was in a CBC streeter last night and asked a question. I knew exactly who he was at first glance. Would you recognize Michael Williams anywhere? Yes or no? And I'm real curious to know where this poll goes because um, among Much VJs, then I think maybe it's like Saturday Night Live characters um, or when you watch Saturday Night Live. Like my dad wouldn't know who Phil Hartman was, but he'd recognize Dan Aykroyd right away. You know what I mean? Like it's generational. Um, but I... All my much music watching is Michael Williams, Eric M, Steve Anthony, and um, damn it, Mon- Monica Diol was yeah. on, but she was on Electric Circus. I don't no, know. No, she was also a VJ for years. She was. I know. Circus. Yeah, she went from yeah. But so I think Eric you- is instantly. I think Eric and Steve oh, are the yes. most recognizable by far. Gordon, yeah, you think I'm off track on that? No, I no. I think you're correct on that one. Yeah. But Erica's still everywhere. That's what it is, yeah. right? Erica, she's got right. you know the, the Yummy Mummy Club, and she's she's doing she's got a million projects. She's got a new podcast out, so she's still very much in the public eye. Is Michael Williams? No, not as so, much. He DJ's, I don't blame um, and he is. Uh, I told Gordy has dreadlocks now. Gord was surprised yeah. at that. So. What, you said you'd look at Michael I, Williams and go, I know you, yeah. but where do I know you from? Which is like, <laughs> you'd almost, you're better worse. off pretending yeah. because he's like, are you kidding? I was on t- I was on national television playing videos for 
eight years. Yeah, in the eighties. It's now twenty twenty two. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good point. It's true. And yes. you haven't, if you haven't done anything really since in the public eye, I don't blame the person who asked him. Who uh, would you recognize? Um, well, okay, Strombo's obvious. Everybody would recognize yes. him. But, but yes. So I'm thinking of would I? You know where I saw Jeannie Becker in um, uh, Dublin, Ireland. Wow. Very bizarre. My wife and I saw her in Dublin, Ireland in 2001. Did you say hi? No. But you instantly knew. I knew instantly. Yeah. It was, I, yeah, I, absolutely. Just because it was a weird place to see her in. Would we know? I like this game. I wish we had something to give away. Would we recognize, <laughs> would we recognize um, Sookie and Lee? Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I can see her in my mind's eye. So, yes, I would. <laughs> yeah, I do imagine her. But I know her from then. I don't know what she looked like now. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, there was one more I wanted to do, I think. I think. Um, would we recognize? See, Master T. And I s- told somebody last night I saw Michael Williams on TV. And he's like, you mean Master T? And I'm like, no, no they're two different people. And I'm like, terrible. Get- well, he didn't mean to do it. But- terrible. No, it's not terrible on purpose. Yes, it is. It, that's, that's, no, no, it's not. I'm going to defend my friend. He made an honest mistake. He was. These people haven't been on TV in 18 years. You forget things sometimes. What if I, I asked you all the friends and you were like, you know, Matthew Perry, who played Ross. And I'm like, no, he friends. didn't. He played Chandler. No, because I don't think all people of a certain race look alike. So, oh, no, my would, God, that's not what he meant. Them. No, no, I'm going to defend my friend. And by the way, okay. my friend is not me. Sometimes people do that. <laughs> and they're like, you know, a friend of mine is saying that uh, the, vac- <laughs> the vaccines. Ah, let me have another drink. And no, 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 no. Matt Master T hosted um, Extendamix and the rap- yes. and Rap City. Yeah, yes, he totally do. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you that sometimes Michael Williams filled in on Rap City and so did some of the other DJs. So we're being... No, no, I will not accept that that my friend was being uh, suggesting that they were that they were somehow twins or anything like that. Not, okay. not at all, not at all. Okay. Um. All right. So, Rolling Thunder. Um. That was a great video on Much Music. Uh. Back. No. That. Um. This biker convoy. <laughs> That's coming. What do we think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I don't even know what their cause is. And they, they aren't even freedom, telling us man. what their cause is. Yeah, freedom. Yeah, I want to be course. free and ride a motorcycle into the capital city. And right. I think they're going to let them do that. Oh, I, I don't know about that. Ottawa police says they're cracking down. Let's see what happens there. I feel bad for the Ottawa residents. If I knew what the cause was, maybe I could say something about it. But I think they're going to give bikers a bad name. And I'm a fellow biker. I love my motorcycle. I love riding motorcycles. And I feel like there was a while there were motorcycle people. Bikers had a bad name because of, you know, the Hells Angels and whoever else and blah, blah, blah. But now, like, I just feel like there are so many more people that have motorcycles. And now watching what's going to happen this weekend in Ottawa, I hope that doesn't change people's perspective. Perceptions of them, but there have been biker. There have been big stories about biker wars, and uh, um, you know, sure there, there Mont- Montreal, I think, had a big biker yes, gang violent war, uh, turf, a turf war among bikers. Right? Sure, they did. Sure, they did. But that doesn't. You can't just paint the whole brush. It's like the truckers, right? They were somewhat peaceful. They had whatever they were protesting against. There was, you know, a long list, and then it just turned, and that, you know, the one or two truckers oh. gave the rest of them a bad name. Well, I just go along with the, the the I go along with whatever the prime minister says, and he called them a small fringe <laughs> minority, minority. I, <laughs> and he made more people come and show up and stay longer. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's something that happened. Yeah, I I don't want to call it a nothing burger because we all greatly underestimated what would happen in um in in Ottawa, but but that's because nobody did anything. Like uh, we knew on Thursday. I know you and I were talking about this the Friday morning because didn't they go up to the big mall? They went up to Vaughn Mills, right? On the yes, Thursday, and they they, they hung out there, 
and on the Thursday, and then they were going to Ottawa on the Friday, and they're like, well, "We're staying way past Sunday," and and somehow. That message was missed by the entire municipal government, the Ottawa police force, the provincial government, and the federal government. They're like, no, they're they're digging in, and and they I, let them dig in. I really hope they're better prepared this weekend. The Ottawa police, the the mayor. I don't know what, I, but I just I wish I knew what the rally was for. What the, what's your cause? Please tell us. Yeah, they don't feel as outwardly like like the three or four of them. Like we're coming to um you know remove the prime minister and the governor general and enact our own government. I haven't heard much of that uh, uh, particular r- uh, underground rhetoric. Um, tell have, me this: What would it take for you to get on a motorcycle? A lot. Like money or just uh, bravery no, or just alcohol to, to ride it, not to drive it? <laughs> how, yes. How about sitting on the back of a bike? Um, no, if I'll never do it. I'll never jump out of a plane. I won't DC dive because I'll be the guy that's like stung by a stingray. Um, <laughs> or whose parachute doesn't open. <laughs> by the way, uh, I got to end this with Michael Williams was the creator of Rap City. Respect on the man's name. Michael Williams is the OG from Mike Much Music. Is this Michael Williams texting it? Now, Master T was taller. Monica Diol was entertainment reporter for City News Weekend. She only did Electric Circus on Much Music. She disputes this. She was a VJ. I think she, she was, was a VJ. She was right a VJ. I know this. She was my hero growing up. She was the only person who somewhat looked like me who was on TV at the time. That's that's right. And then um, someone's writing in about Ed the Sock. That's not a real VJ. That's a guy. <laughs> that's a guy with a smelly sock on his head. Funny at times. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the sunshine where it is. And we'll be back with a live show on Monday, May the 2nd. Yeah, 5.30 to 9 in the morning. When else? Um, And you, of course, can hear it on the Radio Player Canada app and at 640toronto.com, if not, on your radio dial.